Welcome to We Are Free. I am your host, Becky Morquecho, and you're listening to episode 17. This is a podcast about letting go of what we think our lives should look like and the sweet freedom God has for us on the other side of surrender. My guest today is Sally Kim. Sally has worked in the creative industry as a consultant, a blogger, a writer, editor, content and communications director, event coordinator, and all kinds of things in between for the last five years. She now works with Emily Freeman and Hope Writers as an on-staff creative consultant. When Sally was 22 years old, she was given unexpected and emergency custody of her three brothers overnight after a heartbreaking accident killed her grandfather, their main caregiver. Just a few months after graduating with her bachelor's, all dreams of grad school or career choice were placed on hold to navigate the foster care system and raising three boys on her own, ages 2, 7, and 12 at the time. Now, eight years later, she is married with two biological daughters and an adopted son who happens to be her brother by blood and would never trade a single sacrifice or step in her story. Welcome. So glad to have you here, Sally. And we're in the studio today, too, which we've only done one other time. So I'm so glad to see you in person. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. You have an incredibly unique story. I know we all do, but yours just really... I think, uh, makes an impression on people. So you were 22 years old and what happened? Can you, can you tell us a little bit? Yeah. So I, um, had just graduated college. I was 22. I graduated actually this time, like when it was a winter graduation at Biola and I thought I was going to jump on a plane and like travel the world, do humanitarian work. I had all these big dreams, um, and I was living with my pastor and his wife and kids cause I was interning at their church at the time down in Mission Viejo, up in Mission Viejo cause I'm not in Orange County <laughs> anymore. Now we're in San Diego, up in Mission Viejo. I appreciate um, you doing that. Yeah. I have a hard time when people say the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. 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 I would too. So yeah. So North from here, um, in Orange County and I, had been exploring like, what am I going to do next? What's my, what's going to be my career choice? I graduated in, um, with a degree in writing. So I thought I was going to be an English teacher. I ended up stopping all of my teaching courses right before student teaching. Cause I realized I loved the literature and I loved the writing and I couldn't stand the teaching courses. And there were girl, there were men and women like that would just thrive in our teaching courses. And I just wasn't that person. Yeah. <laughs> I did not like it. Um, and it's kind of so, nice when there's a clear, clear yeah. answer sometimes. Yeah. Three years in. So it was a while, but it was also like, I, I don't, I just want to be with, with the students. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to be responsible to teach them standards and mm-hmm. things. So I ended that, um, changed my degree to writing. Cause that was the fastest way to graduate. Had no idea I'd be, you know, essentially a full-time writer 10 years later are using the degree for so many different things. But um, I graduated and I was working, I think I was working at a restaurant at the time and interning at the church and thinking about like being a missions director for a church or um, going, I had been to India once thinking about going to India again for a longer amount of time. Um, Kind of like that whole, like, I just graduated college and the world is my oyster and I'm going to do all these cool things and so excited. And, um, there was a moment in May 
where I was presented with an opportunity to apply for the world race. Have you heard of the world race? Yeah. A long Mm -hmm. time ago. Mm -hmm. So you essentially travel to like 15 different countries on a fast pace and it's all missions and um, over the course of a year. And so I thought I was going to do that. Um, I, t- I knew I've just had this weird feeling if I apply, I think I'm going to make it. So I really need to know if I want to do it before I apply. So I took three days to hunker down and spend time in, um, in praying and spend time in the word and reading, um, the book of Ruth specifically. Don't know why, but I did. And at the end of the three days, I woke up in the middle of the night like three o'clock in the morning randomly and got up and checked my phone and I had 15 missed calls. Oh my gosh. From a number I didn't recognize. Um, I started listening to the voicemails and, um, and one of them was, this is the police department. There's been an accident. We need you to come to this hospital. That was like 30 minutes North of where I was. So I like splashed water on my face and ran out the door and drove and just prayed out loud like that, you know, that the family members in the accident would be safe. It was my 13 year old at the, or 12 year old at the time, brother and my grandfather. Um, the way the police communicated, it sounded like, it sounded like my grandfather was fine, but my brother wasn't okay. okay. So I kind of was upside down on my way there. Um, I got there and they took me to the back and they, um, they took me to see my brother and he was fine and he was okay. Um, then they took me to another room and that's where they told me that my grandfather had been killed in the accident instantly. And they also told me that, um, what had happened was my mom came home drunk. She was living with my grandfather and my three brothers were all living with him she had come home drunk and violent and scary. And my grandfather had taken my 12 year old brother out of the house to sleep in the car. And this had been happening a lot. And I had no idea because I was just in college. I was doing my thing. And um, my mom has been an alcoholic and physically abusive, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive since as long as I can remember. Like those are all my memories with her essentially. And, um, I always thought she is abusive to me, but it ends with me. I never thought she was abusive to my brothers. Mm -hmm. So when I left, I just thought that she was fine. I thought that there was something wrong with me that she, I either, because I was a girl, I was her only girl. It was just a lot. Maybe I was too much. Maybe that's why she hit or yelled or, did these things to me is because it was me, but she never abused my brothers. And I would even say that narrative to people mm-hmm. when they would ask about my brothers. I would, I'd say it's only me. Like she's only abusive to me, never to my brothers. You never witnessed it with your nope. brother? Mm-mm. Nothing, never. But I moved out when I was 16 and with um, my youth pastor and his wife and kids. And they're the ones like that walked me down the aisle. They're the ones that our kids call grandparents. Um, they're the only grandparents our kids know. Mm-hmm. So, um, w- I was, re- I was pretty removed from the situation and I would stay and visit a lot. And, um, I would babysit until the point where my mom would like ask me to babysit for two hours and then not come home for two days. Cause I was in college. Yeah. Um, and it was hard. It was like that choice of, 
like I have this opportunity to get a college degree. I'd be the first in my family. And so I can't keep like surrendering my life for her, like enabling her essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, so like I said, what had happened was my mom came home drunk and was abusive to my, my oldest younger brother. Mm And my grandfather had taken them out of the house and they slept in the car. A tow truck had come behind them and hit them while they were sleeping in the car. Uh, So the tow truck driver, we're not sure why he swerved, whether he was falling asleep too or what was going on. It was like three o'clock in the morning. Um, and they said, you know, we have to alert social services that this is going on. And I was like, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I had to tell my brothers that my brother, that social services was on his, on their way. And, um, and he like instantly got in a panic saying they're going to separate us. They're going to separate us. And so social services had been Mm -hmm. semi-involved at that point I found out. Um, but my mom in her illness, like would communicate things like they're going to take you all away and put you in foster homes and just this negative, right. scary. Trying to threaten them. Yeah. Don't say anything because yeah. ABC will happen. Mm-hmm. And I told my brother, I will never, ever let you guys be separated. I will never let you be separated. And I kept that promise. So I left with um, my 12 year old brother from the hospital. Social services released him into my care. And then I, like I said, I was living with a pastor and his wife and kids, Mm -hmm. um, at the time, like in their guest room, interning, like (laughs) making $15 an hour at a restaurant. So I obviously didn't have capacity to get a space, but I just called every mentor I knew and told them like, this is the situation kind of in like a total haze, like shock. it was shocking. Um, and eventually yeah, there's a lot of pieces to like how we were able to get a space, but eventually we got a space. And two days later I picked up my other two brothers who, so um, how old, how old were they at the time? 12, seven and two. And you are 22. I was 22 at the time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So I picked them all up and, um, stepped into like full-time mom mode. I didn't even know how to make a quesadilla <laughs> at the time. And I had to make three meals a day and do school pickup and drop offs and, um, and then not just like the, the like overnight parenting, there's also all that comes with the system and learning that. And, um, I remember I was, the social worker was like, so where does everybody sleep? And I was like, well, this is like their space they're sleeping, but right now they're all sleeping like with me. They all want to be with me. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh no, you can't be in the same, like, you can't be on the floor with them sleeping. They can be together, but you can't be with them. And it was this shift of, oh, I'm not a sister anymore. Yeah. I'm a foster parent. Not, I'm not just a parent. I'm a foster parent and there's rules. So and- they were applying, right, the system, even though the situation was so unique in the fact that these oh, are yeah. your brothers. That's crazy. Yeah. They would call it glorified babysitting. Ugh. So you're, they would say, you know, you're essentially a glorified babysitter right now. Like, no, but I'm their sister. <laughs> yeah. Biologically, I'm sis- I'm their sister. Um, physically, I mean, Floyd, who's adopted, that's why I can share mm-hmm. his name. But um, he was two and I bottle trained, like bottle weaned, potty mm-hmm. trained. 
he would have night terrors and I would just have, I would just sit up at night with him on top of me. And, um, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. It felt so much, it feels now it feels so much bigger than it felt in the moment. I think in the moment I just was like, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. This is what is needed. And this is what I need to step into. And I look back at 22 year old Sally and I'm like, dude, she was bad. Like that is my hero. Cause mm -hmm. I now 30 year old Sally is like, Oh boy, <laughs> four kids in. I don't know. Like if I can, right. I don't know if I could do make another quesadilla. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can make another quesadilla. Um, now I'm a really good cook. I yeah. do take pride in that. But, um, yeah, so I did that for two years and we had an awesome community around us, like from paying rent for a few months to like, providing Christmases, it just doing all, like I had somebody pay for house cleaning for six months, like just doing, lifting some of the burdens that mm -hmm. were so heavy because parenting is heavy mm -hmm. times it by three times it by I'm doing, cause reunification was 100% the goal. The first time that the boys were placed in my care. So they had eight hour, one had eight hours a week with dad. Um, then all three had like 15 hours a week with my mom. Okay. We all four have different dads. Okay. So my dad is, was pretty involved. Okay. Um, the best that he could. Um, he's like a single, like construction worker, hardy guy, but definitely did the best he could with what he had in his pocket. Um, not physically, figuratively <laughs> in his emotional two blocks. Um, but then all the other boys have different dads and there was one dad that was involved. So I'm driving to like essentially 25 hours a week of monitoring visits mm -hmm. and some of them with my mom. And that was like, I mean, it was abusive. And even though I wanted to put on the front of I'm the adult now and you can't abuse me anymore because I'm an adult, but I'm still a daughter. Right. And so, um, but it's essentially a full-time job when you're fostering. And on top of that, I'm single. And so I had to be the provider and yeah. it was a lot. And I did that for uh, two years. And um, then social services, it was a Tuesday in court and they said, the boys are going home on Friday. So you need to get them ready. To your mom? Mm-hmm. She did all of her programs. So there was a program she had to work okay. and she did it all. Um, and we're actually very pro reunification in foster care as a whole. Right. We've had an amazing experience with reunification, the best, but this case, because I know my mom, I don't think anybody knows my mom as well as I do. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was not good. And even the attorneys were like, it's not good, but it's not bad enough to keep them and would tell me the sooner that we reunify them, the sooner she can fail and we can that's so hard that's horrible it's horrible so we're so, gonna get everybody back together we know it's gonna fail but let's do it mm -hmm. sooner so we can get back to that place and again. it did fail yeah obviously yeah <laughs> but the trauma that was done in those two years like the, that I don't like the word damage mm -hmm. but like that pain can never be untaught mm -hmm. mm -hmm. their bodies will remember it forever mm -hmm. whether like we replace all the memories their bodies will remember it forever mm -hmm. um and it's impacted them pretty severely. But we, um, do you have a relationship with your mom at all no. today? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. 
No, I, um, when I got the boys, it, it was, I, I had a relationship with her pretty much up until that point. Mm -hmm. So when, um, I, before I got the boys, I would meet with her because she was in school is what she would tell me. Um, and she, we would meet at like a Denny's and study together. And I just assumed this mentor, um, this mentor role for her. And I feel like that was communicated like as my role, maybe not intentionally, but definitely like the church I was at at the time, like kind of, I felt like this expectation from not somebody, but from like pulpit messages was, well, I'm the Christian. Yeah. I have the relationship with God. Like you want to be a good example to her. I have to be the good example to her. And I would just put myself in a position to be totally like abused or taken advantage of, like gave her a credit card in my name when I was 20. Yeah. <laughs> she like obviously maxed out. Now yeah. looking back, it's like, oh. No, but you were trying to <laughs> fill that role. You were putting a lot of pressure on yourself to be somebody who could be a light in her world. Yeah, that was one of it and one thing. And then also my brothers, right. I had to take care of my brothers. And so I would do whatever it took to take care of them. And um, yeah, and so I, yeah, so I, she would look at me at visits and say, I don't have a problem. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't know why this is, this is happening. You have a problem. You this, you that. And I'm, and, um, then she would also tell social services that mm. I don't have a problem. Like we would sit in these big meetings and she would look at the people that have her kids and yeah. their care. And she'd say, I'm, I don't have a drinking problem. I'm totally healthy. Yeah. Um, and that when alcoholics don't admit they have a problem, it's a 90% relapse rate. And she was a different alcoholic where she was a very high functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. She wasn't drunk all the time, but she didn't know how to stop. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that was a form of alcoholism yeah. when I was a kid. Right. I just thought, oh, my mom's a bad drunk. Like she's really scary when she drinks, but she's not an alcoholic. That yeah. sounds bad. Um, but she was. Mm. <laughs> so I knew moving back, it was, um, yeah, it was very, um, very painful because I knew what I was moving my sons at that point, two years in. Right. One was calling me mommy. Um, the other was starting to ask like, so if, because at this point I had met my husband, we had just met, um, we had just started dating in July and then they were reunified in October. Okay. So we like, it was like, Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> Here's my story. Uh, Want to stick around? <laughs> Want to stick around? Uh, but yeah. And um, for Will to be there for that, there's so many, when I recount the story of having to give the boys back, mm -hmm. it's so hard to fully understand, like, this is what I saw and this is what I felt. And so to, the grace of like having him in that with me and mm -hmm. he was in it. Like I remember coming home and telling him and him just kneeling down and holding Floyd and, oh, and then seeing him like, you know, Floyd's face is on his shoulder and then Will's looking at me my husband and he's just has tears streaming down his face. So he felt it so early on into he our was dating. In. He, he was, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, there was no turning back. Mm -hmm. um, and I, we just knew what we were sending them back to, which was, which I made it so much harder. And um, we were supposed to be able to see them once a week and bring them to our house. And I kept their room all set up for 
almost a year after just waiting. Cause I was just waiting for calls and, um, probably up until about two years ago, I just used to sleep with my phone on mm-hmm. and wouldn't sleep well and, um, would just wait. And, but now you have Floyd. Uh-huh. We have all, we, we got all of them back. Oh, so that. the 12 year old was able to stay with us okay. because he, his age at that point, he was 14. Okay. So when they went back, they were, f- I think five or almost five, um, nine and 14. And he stayed with us. Okay. Um, and we were supposed to be able to see them once a week. And then of course, like she's their mom. She doesn't have to abide by any rules anymore, essentially. And she, we didn't see them for two years. We didn't see them. We didn't hear from them. Didn't know how they were doing. Um, we were still in the same community. And so people from our church would be like, Oh, I saw the boys like brushing their teeth outside their car. <laughs> it was so cute. And I'm like, yeah, it's maybe cute for your family. But for me, that tells me something is wrong. Yeah, it's cute when you're camping, maybe. Yeah. Not in front of your <laughs> school. Um, and we, I would have people like from one of my brother's baseball teams call and check in on how he's doing. Cause he seemed really depressed at school. And I had to explain he's not with us. Oh, so hard. So Sally. please like take him out, like yeah. take him for a play date, spend time with him. Um, and I, we got, Will and I got engaged in December. So the boys went back in October. We got engaged in December. We got married in July. Mm-hmm. Um, found out we were pregnant th- three weeks into marriage. <laughs> so we saved ourselves from marriage. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know we were doing anything right. And, we, <laughs> and then there was a baby in my stomach and, um, we just kind of started life, but we still, even, so we moved out of the house that we lit. I had lived in with the boys because there was no need for a three bedroom house. Um, moved into a two bedroom because we had a teenager. We were raising a teenager as a young married couple. And then we got pregnant and we moved back into a three bedroom. So we should have just stayed, mm-hmm. but um, still kept all like the boys drawings up. Like I would, anytime we'd move on the fridge, I would just put pictures and drawings. And then um, I carried boxes of like their clothes and like, it would, I would par down every time we'd move, but it still was pretty, the amount of memorabilia mm-hmm. and like special things I kept and, um, obviously had scout and just kind of started, um, living our life and healing how we could. And, but it was a very open gaping wound. And I would even say it still is like, there's no, there's recovery, but like, there's no full that will always be a scab in Mm -hmm. our lives. Um, and I, um, yeah, so I had just decided this is like two years. We haven't seen them, haven't heard from them. Don't know how they're doing. Would get these weird tidbits and have to brush it off for the sake of our health. Um, when we sent the boys back, we explained it in a way that was like your mom, our mom wasn't healthy, but now she is and she can take care of you because for us, if we say this isn't good and we're not going to set them up for success Mm -hmm. or for, yeah, we're not going to set them up for like being fearful or we want them to think their mom's great because that's the right thing to do. And, um, that's what a real mom does. Right. Right. School's going to be great. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Um, and I had just decided after two years of not hearing from them, 
to slowly start like taking all the pictures off the fridge. And so I cleared the fridge and I just got rid of all of Floyd's, um, all of Floyd's clothes and, um, just slowly started saying like, you know, they're not coming home and I have to reconcile that. I have to be okay with that. Yeah. And then <laughs> it was literally like a day or two after clearing off the fridge, I get a call from social services saying your boy, your brothers are back in Orangewood. Can you come get them? And Orangewood in Orange County is um, essentially a children's home. Okay. It's like a holding cell, a holding center mm-hmm. um, that is not meant to hold kids for more than three days. Okay. So I was at work for yellow and um, we were doing an, entrepreneurial incubator called Wayfair Labs, which I think it's probably something else now. I'm not sure. Um, and I, like I said, like I slept with my phone by me and I just always, I always check my phone because the social services are um, blocked numbers. Okay. So whenever I had a blocked number, my heart would just jump. And right. sometimes it was like, this is Chase or <laughs> right, right. random. Google. Uh, yeah, exactly. Update your profile. <laughs> exactly. Um, but this was not, this was, it's time, it's time. And I called my husband and we picked them up and pretty much never looked back. Yeah. That's um, crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's a long story. So sorry. No, it's, it's, it's a good story. It's, um, I just think there's so much in there that like, yeah, is good. And the way God like provided different things along the way too. Um, so you, technically like we're thrown into foster fostering like, Mm -hmm. and then since then you've had other foster children in your home. Right. Tell me like, did that whole circumstance, your whole story make you feel like, yes, I want to foster more children or is this something that God like spoke to you and you weren't quite sure about? Yeah. So actually right before I got the boys, I started having feelings about foster care. So the family I lived with actually maybe like six months before I got the boys was a safe family. Okay. Which I don't know if you know about safe families. Tell us. Minimal. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so safe families is the step right before foster care. So their mission is to prevent kids from ever going into the system. And I have it, it could be totally different now from what it was, gosh, eight years ago. But in that time, it was, if kids don't need to be in the system, let's prevent them from going into the system. So it's for parents like that are getting surgery, but they don't have family support. And so they would go stay with these families that are certified and trained Mm -hmm. and safe um, for a shorter period of time than foster care would be. And then they can go back to the parents whenever the parents are ready. So we had done something like that. We had done safe families. Um, And... You and Will were the safe family. No, I was, I was like a sister. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I was living with the pastor and his wife and kids and they were the safe family and I was in college and it, it wrecked me. It was, it really opened my eyes to a need, um, in America. And like I said, I thought I was going to be globe trotting, like living in the most dangerous places and, um, doing humanitarian work all over the world. But that opened my eyes to a need that was here And to the point where I was thinking about not ever having my own kids and just fostering. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was always on like my radar, but I think like 90% of injustices in the world were always on my radar too. I was so passionate about any time there was an underdog or somebody was being hurt or I just wanted to help everybody. 
You're a good advocate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> I feel like you're kind of similar. Um, I'm a big feeler and I'm, a, I just care about people deeply. Um, so that kind of sparked like thoughts about it. But when we got the boys, so when I first got the boys kinship care, which is what essentially is what we are, um, or we were was kinship care. And you, could take care of family members without any certification. Okay. They always call family first. And so that you would just get your brothers or your nieces or your grandchildren. There's nothing anybody has to do for that. Nope. They just, they just check the house, okay. make sure it's safe. Social worker checks in once a month. Um, we were a little different and I'm wondering if it's because of my age mm -hmm. where I feel like I had a little bit more support and check-ins and more active social workers mm -hmm. when a lot of kinship caregivers get no support from social services um, and get like these, like their, their grandchildren or whatever dropped off at their doorstep. And that's the end. Okay. Um, I had a little bit more support from social services. That was really great. So, but the, so the boys went back for two years in that two years, all the laws changed where now kinship caregivers who are relative caregivers, um, they, have to become fully certified foster parents. So most, so conventional foster parents will find an agency or go through the county and mm -hmm. do all the trainings and get certified and then wait for the call. Right. When kinship, you get the child and you have to figure out how are you going to find childcare? How are you going to get your 10, 20 hours of training? How are you going to do your CPR hours? How are you going to do all this while taking care of kids? So it was a big shock for us when we went, like we had scout, um, scout was 11 months. We had my 16 year old brother and then we got, I was pregnant with Tennessee. I was pregnant with our second. And, um, that's when we got the call for picking up my 11 year old brother and Floyd, who's now, well, he was six at the time. Okay. Um, so because of that, we are certified foster parents and, Floyd was adopted in, um, February, I believe. Um, we were able to finalize adoption with him. Unfortunately for my, um, teenage brother who is 16 now. He's the middle. Yeah. He's okay. the middle. So the, so, um, the oldest is 20 and okay. he moved out right when he turned 18. Okay. The middle, um, had some pretty severe, mental health issues and drug abuse problems. Okay. And so we fought really hard for him for two years and it got to the point where um, it was dangerous to have him in our house. Mm -hmm. And so we had to move him into a, um, a different home specifically okay. for teen boys with trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but prior to decide prior to really social services decision to move him out was he was supposed to be adopted and because of his behavior. So going AWOL, like that just means running away multiple times. He was sneaking people into our house. He was getting, he had been arrested. I think he got arrested like three times last year, yeah. like just a lot. Um, and you have young kids at and home. we have little kids. Yeah. Yeah. We have little kids. And, um, and there, I mean, it was just a volatile, stressful environment to be in because we're trying to like, save him and right. he doesn't want to be saved. Yeah. And I have some uh, experience with that. Do you? Mm -hmm. Still not as much, but just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. If they don't want, he's at an age where he has to want 
help. And there, I think in our minds, it was like, well, this is trauma and we don't give up. And, but he, he didn't want it. And that's not loving of us either to force feed like love on him when he doesn't want it. Cause then if he makes the right quote unquote, well, not quote unquote, if he makes the right choice, then he'll likely just go right back because it wasn't his choice in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he, because of all of his behaviors, court, Orange County social services, um, the court decides he couldn't be adopted. Okay. So they make, they deem kids in crisis unadoptable Mm -hmm. for a period of time because they don't want them to be adopted and then not have any services. You don't have social workers checking in. We, we were having social workers drive from Orange County down to his school to pick him up. Like we wouldn't have, I don't know what we would have done without social services as help. Yeah. Um, so they, they, essentially make him unadoptable. So we were not going to recertify because we weren't foster parents anymore. We were adoptive parents and we kind of had conversations about, well, what do you think about fostering later? And so we thought about maybe in like a few years, well, because we couldn't adopt uh, my teenage brother, we had to fully recertify. Okay. And um, so we recertified in like, I think December of last year, maybe it was actually January and, um, for him. And then in August we had to move him out into a new home and we cleared out his room and just spent time praying in his room, just spent time, like just cleaned out all the, like whatever was going on in there, just cleared it out and prayed. And, um, there's this show called underground. I don't know if you've heard Mm-mm. of it. It's on Hulu. Okay. It's pretty gnarly I will say and it's pretty risque so if you're sensitive to content Mm -hmm. I would just be warned yeah but it is so powerful and it's about the underground railroad specifically but um there's this one scene that I couldn't like that the week we moved him out I couldn't get it out of my head and this couple had like a little house like this on the river Um, not that you live on the river, but your little (laughs) studio, they had a house on the river with a window and, um, somebody that ran the underground railroad came to them and said, you have the perfect house to house people as they're, um, escaping bond, like escaping slavery. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just, they said, yes, they decided to do it. And so they would put a lantern lit every time they were ready to accept a new, um, refugee, essentially, Mm -hmm. I'll call them refugees. Um, and the first time they got somebody, it was, it was two men like came to stay with them and it started out fine. And then in their trauma, they reacted because they recognized like the husband and got really scared. Um, and it's, it's, yeah. And got really reactive and violent and I won't go into the <laughs> details, but it was violent, violent enough to, you know, leave a mark. Yeah. And, um, then they, you could just see in the eyes, the trauma and the pain and how much these people have endured as they're escaping violence yeah. themselves. And why, like, that's not excusable, but you understand why they're making the choices that they make. Right. Right. And, um, they move like after they get violent and it's scary for a moment, 
they realize they're safe and then they leave to the next stopping point and their house is thrashed and the wife is sobbing and the husband's like, you know, has a black eye and sounds like something I can't watch before. Bedtime. Oh yeah. Maybe not. No. <laughs> yeah. I'd be careful. Yeah. Um, and it's not scary. Like yeah. I hope it doesn't no, sound like a horror story. It's a historical yeah. fiction. Right. Um, but it's like they, um, kind of look at each other and the lanterns out and it was this moment of, are we going to put the lantern back on mm-hmm. or not? And the end of that first episode, I think is them putting the lantern back on in the window and fix like fixing their house and it's ready for more refugees to come. And, um, I, I told my husband like, Hey, I can't get this scene or this picture out of my head. What do you think about fostering teen girls? And I told him that and he's like, that sounds like the Lord. So let's do it. And so we totally set up our room to foster teen, um, ages 12 to 17 year old girls. We called social services. We said we have an open space. Um, and we were fully certified foster parents at that point. And we really thought it was going to be teen girls. Like, Mm -hmm. this is it. This is what we're going to do. This is going to be our mission. We're so excited. And, um, got a call about a three month old and a four year old little (laughs) girl, which is not a teen girl. (laughs) And, um, I showed my husband and I said, what do you think? And he said, yep. And so we found a crib, set up a crib in our room and set up the downstairs bedroom that was originally for a teen girl into a safe place for a four-year-old girl. And, um, they were our first placement. We haven't had another placement since. Um, but how long did you have them? Uh, three months. How was that? What was that like? Oh my goodness. It is so many things. Foster care is so many things, just like parenting, but it's like so many things on top of so many things. Um, but honestly, like I, it was, I don't want to say it was a unicorn case, but it kind of was a unicorn (laughs) case. Like we're really, we're really, really relishing in the goodness of it because we know it's not the norm. Right. Um, we feel very, very fortunate to have had such like a beautiful family to serve in this time. Um, and it taught us so much about how to love these families well. And we are very clear, like the first thing when I call the mom or the dad, I've had to call the mom, the dad, the stepmom, who's also the baby's mom. And um, the first thing I say is, I just want to let you know, we're not interested in adoption. Yeah. We're not fostering to adopt. We're here solely for fostering and serving you. And you just like, you could either just hear an audible, like feel the weight. Yeah. Mm. Or if we were FaceTime, you could just see them. Like the moment they met us was like a, a physical weight was lifted off their chest. And there's a lot of misconceptions about foster parents, um, which unfortunately are usually caused by bad foster parents out there. And so there's, there's misconceptions about the motive. Like, are we doing it to keep somebody's baby or, Um, will they care for my child the way that I would? Um, and for them to see us and like, we have kids, we're not interested in adoption. I kept saying, we're not in the business of keeping, you know, people's babies from them. Obviously if, if the case was different, every case is so different. Right. 
but this case specifically, we were like beyond excited to empower the family yeah. to be reunited. Um, and just to, like to, to be called for parenting tips or to be called for like, how do I manage this behavior, that behavior? I'm no expert. But You've I'm, had your fair share though. <laughs> I guess so, huh? Yeah, I think I'm you are an expert. In. Yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. Uh, eight years into parenting. Um, but we, yeah, we just have enjoyed being with them. And my husband is a very different personality than me where I kind of am more like a rule follower. Mm-hmm. I'm a two, but I think I'm a pretty strong wing one. Mm-hmm. I'm a laughs. I'm a one too. Oh, are you? Mm-hmm. Oh. I get those rules, girl. <laughs> yeah. I like it's a black and white mm-hmm. and it's rules and this is the right way to do things. Unless and it's creative work, then it, then it doesn't, yeah. then no rules. Oh, it's healthy. That's yeah. good. I like it. Yeah. When I'm there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and my husband's more like, I'm going to give him, let's have him over for dinner and I'm going to give him a hug. And he's calling the dad bro. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's like simmer down. Now it doesn't say bro in the rule book. Will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, I can. Yeah. He's so funny. So there's like, there's rules yeah. that we have to abide by. Um, but my husband is just like the kindest, like he's the most sincere, sweet man you'll ever meet. And so he's just like, yeah, this is, we're going to totally hang out. And we're, and it's like, well, I don't know if they want to hang yeah. out with us after. <laughs> and thankfully, like they kind of do, which is really awesome. Yeah. And, um, like literally the best foster case scenario. Um, so I feel almost bad sharing our experience cause I don't want people to think that's the norm. Yeah. But well, it can be. Mm-hmm. What was the hardest part about it for you? So you knew, like, I feel like there's a lot of families out there or the people that I've spoken to, they like, they want to adopt. Like that's the goal is like, oh, we would like to adopt a child. Are we going to adopt internationally, domestic or through foster care system? Mm -hmm. So you being a family, at least at this stage, like not, that's not the goal. Mm -hmm. Like, cause I feel like the hardest part for some of those other people are like, oh, we don't know if we, if reunification does not happen and is not healthy and it does not work. Like we don't know if this child will end up as ours, but you not being like having that as your dream or goal in mind, like what has been the hardest part about it, even though it was maybe a unicorn case? Yeah. Well, with the adoption thing, because even if you go into foster care to adopt, a lot of them fall through Mm -hmm. and it can be devastating depending on your story. And, um, I see it from all sides and I have so much compassion on all sides, but I even fast to adopt, everything has to go in. You have to go in with open hands Mm -hmm. and be okay with, um, the best way to explain it with reunification is you have to be okay with learning. They're not going to parent like me and that's okay. Yeah. There's so many that, that in the emotional, like foster care side, there's so many small things that you don't realize you hold on to as a mom that you're like, but this is the right way to do things. Like, no, we do baby led weaning in our house. We don't do baby food. And then you see baby food in the bag and you're like, this, this is ruining everything. Right. But you're not it's mom. Not, yeah. And it's not, and it's, it's not, not ruining everything. at the end of the day, like the baby's fine. Yeah. The baby's going to be fine. Um, so on emotional side, at least for my personality type, there's little tiny, tiny, tiny things that essentially at the end of the day do not matter. Right. 
that you have to release as a parent and recognize that parent's not going to parent like you. And sometimes they're not going to take your advice even when they seek it. And that's okay. Right. Um, for foster care and adoption again, it, I, I don't know. I, Give it to us straight. It's okay. Tell us what you think. I just, I, I think, um, the system is so broken this and you hear it all the time, but like we will attest the system is so broken and you don't know how broken it is until you're in it. And so if you are seeking to start a family through adoption, if, if foster care is your response because it's the cheaper option, you're going to be heartbroken Mm. because there's, I mean, there's so many opportunities for those kids to still go back. There's opportunities for family to decide that, yes, like I do want to raise my grandson or I do want to raise my nephew. And um, the system is not set up to protect the foster parents. Yeah. So we used to not like that phrase. The system is so broken, but we've we experienced it firsthand where we can attest that it is very broken. Yeah. And um, it comes back to like, okay, is God calling us to put that lantern back on the window or is he calling us to kind of just focus on our family right now? Because mm-hmm. as wonderful as this case was, um, and there's a lot I can't go into right. on a microphone, um, <laughs> but as wonderful as it was, there were some pretty traumatizing experiences that have to do with the system specifically um, that we weren't prepared for and no one, no training could have prepared for us for it and no, um, yeah, and that was very specific. I, I know I'm being vague, but that was very specific to San Diego County. San okay. Diego County itself has a lot of brokenness that they need to work through. Yeah. So. Um, thanks for sharing that. I yeah. think that's so, it's just nice to hear from somebody who's like been in it versus yeah. like, just like trying things on for size. Like, oh, maybe you'll, you know, just like researching and seeing what your options are. But you've definitely had your fair share of yeah. being in the mix of it all. Well, and you definitely get attached yeah. no matter who you are. Yeah. I Like we get attached. It was I was so happy and sad and feeling all the things sending this baby back to her mommy. Yeah. Because we're attached and we should be attached. Right. You've been loving her. Yeah. But um it's she's not mine. And that's why I had to remind myself is she's not mine. They're not mine. They're this is their family. Yeah. And how would I want somebody to take care of my kids if I was unable to take care of them? If I was unable to take care of my kids, I would want them to speak highly of me. I would want them to like the obvious things, like love them and feed them and read them stories and hug them. But every day it was like, we were hugging this baby because we wanted to be the arms of her mom. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. like we're loving her, but we're saying your mommy loves you. We love you, but your mommy loves you. Um, and it's, it's, that's even fast to adopt. You have to go into it with that mindset. And there's a lot of people that go into it, maybe even thinking they're doing it for the right reasons, but then realize there's a possessive mm-hmm. side of it. And it's a gut check. And I hope I don't get in trouble for saying these things. Yeah, but <laughs> there's no, but I'm the only person you get in trouble with. You're not okay. in trouble. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen you right before. Um, and I've probably said some of these things before, like whether somebody's saying to you, um, I'm just going to read them. Cause yeah. when you wrote it, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you said like people saying to you, like speaking of foster care, like, I don't know how you do it or I could never, you know, do that. Or yeah. isn't that too much for you? Like all of those types of things. 
And I've had people sort of say those things to me about adoption, like, oh, well, we'd love to adopt, but I don't, how would you, you know, how could yeah, you do yeah, it, yeah. blah, blah, all that stuff. Yeah. It's like for me, well, God made it very clear <laughs> that this is what we were going to be doing. So that's how we do it. But what you said, what I loved was that God gives like even offers more capacity for things that he cares so deeply about. And I think that's so beautiful and so true. And just like, how do you respond if somebody's like, how do you do that? That's so much. Like, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? And like, how does God um, equip you to love these children, even though like you do love them and you mm-hmm. you have a desire potentially to like hold on to that yeah. and them? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I first felt that way in college. I remember, and it's so, it's big, but it's, it feels minuscule like compared to parenting now, but I, um, I was running, you know, I was doing like 20, 21 units or whatever and working almost full time. And I helped, um, like I founded the human trafficking ministry. I was one of the founders of the human trafficking ministry. And we, (laughs) we would like go to bars on Saturday nights and scope them out for human trafficking, like, (laughs) or massage parlors or different things. Yeah. That's a different story for a different day. But, um, I, I, yeah. And then there was like this big missions conference at Biola where we had to make a room to simulate, um, different areas and like uh, of need. And I was doing all that. And that was the first time that I experienced like, wow, because not just that, but I was also living, um, in by the beach and Biola is a little bit more inland. And so I was commuting 45 minutes, both ways every day, um, doing ministry at church, like just overextended, but never felt so full. Mm. And I, I, I'm very aware of the difference inside me of overextending unhealthy and overextending because God has called me to many different things at this time. And this is just a season. And, um, that was the first time I really felt that piece of like, wow, if you look at my calendar, this looks completely crazy and like not manageable at all, but I feel like I'm floating. Like, I just feel like I'm like a feather floating and like, and I'm going to land and it's going to be okay. And cause we know when we're striving and stress and we know when we're thriving and like resting. Mm-hmm. And I would say a similar feeling came over with foster care. And so when we first found out about the girls, I mean, our closest people were the ones saying, don't you think that's too much? What about your family or what about this? Um, and I think I have to look at myself and think like, okay, how much am I complaining about how hard parenting is that makes them think this is too much, you know, like how much of this is my fault, but how much of this is too, is like your capacity is not my capacity. And if I believe God has called us to do something, we're going to do it. And even like, so like your adoption story, it's like, well, God told us and we know we're going to do this for me with the boys. I feel like God was really gracious in preparing me. Mm. Like I felt, I felt like, So when I was in India the last time, I felt like the Lord told me, you're going to take in your brothers. And I thought it was going to be after getting married and all these different things. I didn't realize it was three months later. (laughs) Um, And it was like the most random thought. It was never my dream. Never my, I never thought like, oh, I'm going to go home and raise my three little brothers at 22. But he was planting that seed. He planted it. Um, But once I got them, it's, it's not like, Oh, God spoke to me. And then I got them and then I prayed about it. And then I decided like, yes, I'm going to do this. It was like, there are three boys in my care 
who if I drop the ball, they will be split up and go into different foster homes. This is my job right now. This is my mission. And I either have to like pull up my bootstraps and go for it or, or not. So what, like it just wasn't really a choice to me, Yeah. even though it was looking back, it's, I had a choice and I said, yes, but it didn't feel like a choice in the moment in the best way. I didn't feel helpless. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm a victim to the circumstance. It was like, this is my mission. What other choice do I have? I'm going for it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So in terms of like capacity and what God gives us, I really do feel like there's certain things that are so close to God's heart that I'm careful because I don't think every everybody should be a foster parent. Right. I used to, when I was 22, I was like, what are you guys doing <laughs> with your life? There's a, like, I was awakened to 3000 kids in the system. And if just one couple from every church in Orange County fostered a child, there'd be no more foster care. I was like awakened to all these statistics yeah. and the world of foster care. And I, I remember I was pretty, that's when, so twos go to eights and stress <laughs> and it's pretty strong in me, <laughs> the mm-hmm. eight. <laughs> so I was going around like telling all my 20 one 22 year old friends, like get your life together yeah. and start fostering. You're kids. young married. Why aren't you fostering? Why am I doing this? Like you guys should be fostering. I was, I don't know how I still have friends. Cause I was pretty ruthless with <laughs> because my, you're sweet and kind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I don't believe like now Will and I are very strong about like, you have to know that you're called to foster because it is hard on so many different levels. There's trauma there's, they're not your kid. So like you're trying to navigate, they have this whole life before you that you can't, you can try the best you can to navigate, but they're going to have a whole life before you and they have a whole life after you. So you're standing in the middle and you're the one that gets to catch the arrows for them. Mm. There's arrows dodging at these kids for their legacy and their future and their hope and their lives. And are we going to be the ones to catch them? Or are we going to be just letting the arrows go to them. And, um, at the end of the day, we have to remember, like, this is where it comes back to capacity too, is we have to remember who the main character of the story is. And foster parents do get, a um, I don't want to say they get enough recognition, but they, they are the ones with social media. Now Mm -hmm. we are the ones that get recognized Mm -hmm. a little bit more for Mm -hmm. our work when we're not the heroes, we're not the heroes. We're the responders. And so there's like, when you think about an emergency, there's the fire, the fire department comes an ambulance comes, there's first responders as the ones that put the people on the stretchers, then they wheel them into the hospital. And then there's the nurses that like the triage workers, and then there's surgeons. And then there's the recovery nurses. Like that is adoption. That is foster care. And that is kingdom. And, um, like we are not the heroes. There's many heroes, but ultimately as we know from a Christian perspective, God is the main character of the story, but I would even take it a step further to say the children are the main characters of the story. And we have the opportunity to catch the arrows for their legacy. So, um, like that's our heart is that like, we will take every bullet for them because they get to go back home or they stay with us forever, whatever God's plan is for them or they go to another adoptive home, but we say it ends with us and we'll, we'll take all the, the like chest, like chest wounds and 
you know, dirty nails and like scabs on our legs. We'll take all of that to know that they're still intact. Like that's what it is. Yeah. And I do believe God gives capacity for that kind of mission and mindset. Yeah. So good. Yeah. If um, people were thinking about fostering and you're saying like, I feel like it needs to be very clear, like that they're called to that. Like, let's say somebody's entering that world. Is there any advice that you have for them? Like they feel called, they feel like, yeah. yes, this is what God has for us. Like anything like having been on the inside that you can share that um, might be helpful for them yeah. like as they enter this journey. Um, I think the biggest piece of advice is remember your place. Um, it's, yeah, I think letting parents know, like, we're not in this to keep your children from you. And there's going to be times where you're going to have to protect the kids. Like if there's not, if the parent's not healthy, you can't, um, like, obviously you can't be like, we're so excited. Like, but you are fostering essentially a whole family. You're caring right. for a whole family really well. Um, have a strong community around you. Like have, I had foster parents that I would just text day in and day out. Like, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. What do I do? Um, that's your lifeline mm -hmm. for a lot of it. Have people around you. Um, and ask for help. Like, it's like, I mean, it's very, it's very, it's, it's advice for all women. Like, right. don't be afraid to ask for help, but yeah. really with fostering, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah care for yourself, care for your marriage, care for your biological kids. Um, that was my next question. How'd the girls do with, um, with that? What does that look I mean, like for them? <laughs> the best is when people would ask if Scout and our four-year-old foster daughter were twins. And uh -huh. I'm like, do you see them? Like they, <laughs> one's like white and strong boned and one's like half Korean, yeah. like delicate. Um, they, it was hard. Yeah, It was hard. It was good. And it was holy and um, yeah, I was so impressed with my kids, with all three of them. I was just, every day was so impressed and so proud and Scout would do things like give our foster daughter, she's four, our daughter's four, and um, we'd give our foster daughter her sacred puppy. Like this is her puppy she sleeps with every night. And if she noticed the our foster daughter was really sad, she would be like, here, do you miss your sister? Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Here's my puppy. You can call my puppy your sister's name. She would obviously say her sister's name, yeah. but I'm not going to say that. Yeah. But the, you can call your my puppy your, my, your sister's name and hold her as long as you want. What like, a tender heart. What four-year-old thinks yeah. like that? Um, And just day after day were little things like that where I was so shocked and I was so taken back and just watching their process. Cause we didn't really, we would explain it in a way that's like, we're going to have a baby and we're going to have a four-year-old stay with us for a little while, while their mommy and daddy, um, work on their house or like, you know, or sometimes mommies and daddies can't take care of their own kids. So our home is available. Mm -hmm. We just kind of keep it blank. We don't talk about anything else. Um, in terms of like, if the parents are you know, using mm -hmm. or abusive. We don't go into any of that. It's mm -hmm. just for some reason or another, they're not able right now, but we are so excited when they do get to go home. Mm, that's good. Um, and I was listening, I was in the living room and I can see our backyard and they were at like their picnic table. And I just hear scouts say, your mommy needs to apologize to you. 
to her foster daughter, your mommy needs to say sorry because then you can go home. But she, you can't you can't go home until she says sorry to you. And it was it's just like listening to their little process. Yes. Like, wow, this is it was so neat. And we were, like I said, just so proud every day because it's a sacrifice. Totally. Um, definitely for Scout in particular, she's a pretty big introvert. She's like my soul sister. And we can just sit next to each other for four hours and not talk and she'll just do her own things. And then I do my own things. And um, our house was very loud for three months that we had our foster daughters. Yeah. Our daughter, Tennessee, is, is way more strong and way more loud. And that contributed. Like they were pretty... Um, <laughs> volatile is the wrong word, <laughs> but kind of the right word. <laughs> there was a lot going on. There was, yeah, it was just strong feelings. Mm-hmm. And then our son, um, our son too, it, he's like a type A, like he likes things a very specific way. And so he would try to be really sweet. And then after a certain amount of times of like asking for the same thing, you'd kind of hear his voice like, so-and-so we don't do that anymore. Like would kind of fluctuate. Sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like once you're like, you're like, you don't understand why I'm saying this. Trying really cause... hard to be chill, but deep down I want it a certain way. Exactly. And I've repeated myself 75 times. Yes. So that's why this tone is coming out. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, I, I think by the time it was time to go home, we were all ready. We knew it was time for her to go home. Yeah. We wanted that for her and her family. And our kids were like, Okay like brush off my hands. Yeah. It's time to be done. Yeah. Which is funny. I, um, you know, I was anticipating like, oh, they might be really sad or they might ask, but they're just like, no. Interesting. <laughs> That's so crazy. Just how resilient kids are. I always have, yeah. I have a tendency to like overfeel, like what if Vera feels this or, right. you know, all those different things. But, um, yeah, she's always much better about whatever the case is. They're pretty I incredible. Expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing that, so this is another foster parent advice is one thing that we've really latched onto that like served us really well was my husband would say things about the baby specifically like, Oh man, I'm going to really miss her when she's gone. And what we had to realize was you're not going to miss this person. Cause we don't know this person. Mm-hmm. You're going to miss having a baby. You're going to miss the tiny toes. You're going to miss the smell of the head. You're going to miss like the gurgles and the smiling. We don't know her. Like we know her for this three to six month span. Yeah. And she has a whole life before us. She has a whole life ahead of her. You're going to miss having a baby. So Will wants a baby. Yeah. So (laughs) I think, so if we, if we recertify, we would do babies now. How long is the certification good for? A year. You have to recertify every year. Okay. Yeah. Like start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, you don't have to do, so like the first, the first certification, you have to do like a home check Mm -hmm. and, um, all that, which takes time. Probably, I mean, probably not as in depth as your guys's home Home study. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was pretty big. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah. And (laughs) I like, wasn't anticipating for them to write down verbatim things that I would say. So like, they would be like, how do you guys manage privacy? And I'm like, well, it's not like we're walking around naked. And, that's what and then uh, they write it into our report. Like, <laughs> really? Like, this is what you're going to see. You could have just gone with what I meant. <laughs> you know what I was saying. That's so um, funny. Yeah. So I don't know how in depth it is, but now you don't throw around phrases like that. No. Mm-hmm. Oh no. And I have to watch my husband. He's the worst because yeah. he just thinks he's buddies with everybody. And yeah. I'm like, well, no, they're, no, they're being serious. They're watching us right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, 
but yeah, so so for recertification, it's like you just have to do the eight to twelve hours of training. Okay, um, and that can be done through support groups or classes, and um, and then your CPR recertification every year. Okay, yeah, cool. I have something off topic that oh. I want people to know about. Yeah, um, your Bible study. Yeah, that you wrote. Were you writing it sort of in the midst of all of this mm-hmm. going on? Because I'm trying to remember the date when I saw you said you had it out. <laughs> so yeah, it must have been in the middle of everything you just talked about. Um, Toward the end? You know, it was towards the beginning. Oh, so beginning. it was before everything got okay. really crazy. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of in a lull spot, which is good. Okay. So it was before we were fostering. We still, I mean, we still were raising our three kids and my no big um, deal. teenage brother at the time was with us. And that was pretty, it was pretty tumultuous for yeah. two years with him. And we moved here from Orange County for a job um, at a church. And my husband was fired a month into us moving here. And, you know, we're, we're two years into being here now. We've made a life. Yeah. But um, it was in between all that. Like my husband last year was working at, he's a worship pastor, but he was working at a print shop, Whole Foods, um, leading on the weekends, working seven days a week sometimes. Um, and then I, I was, you know, taking whatever clients I could and doing a bunch of different things. But um, it was, it was still, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So what inspired you? Like, how, is this something you always had on your heart to write a Bible study or did you, it just sort of yeah, happened? I, so I started letters to my daughters on Instagram that I would write dear daughter and I would say different things to them. And what I didn't realize is that it was really like, oh, these are not just to my daughters. Like these are letters to myself because I didn't have a mom to mother me. And even as an adult, like I have amazing mentors and I have mom figures, but um, there's something about your mom. And I didn't realize how much I needed my mom until I had Tennessee. So even two kids in, Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I don't know. I don't know if you had that experience, like once you became a mom, but you're like, oh, I need a mom right now. Mm Um, and so that's really where dear daughter was born out of was, I think God is giving me letters, not just to my daughters, but to myself and like essentially learning how to reparent myself in this season. And, um, there's something there's women go through so many different experiences, right? Foster care, infertility, divorce, um, gosh, like just surviving everyday life, everyday life, (laughs) like target runs Costco or like the valley's high and the, and the, like, or the mountains high and the valley's low and all the in-between. And, um, I started having these thoughts like, dear daughter, you're loved, dear daughter, you belong. And started picturing like, oh, what would that look like in a book? And, um, one day, I was at church and our pastor went up and just said, like, I really feel like God gave me this verse and it's Talitha Kumi, which means daughter arise in Aramaic and it's tattooed on my foot. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Um, Like that's been like my phrase since high school and I have it tattooed on my foot. It was my high school graduation phrase and it's always been like my thing. And um, went home and wrote like the first 15 pages, I think, of the Bible study that night. Mm -hmm. And then... um, in the like kind of took a break. And then I just felt like I kept encountering all these women going through really gnarly things like, um, 
you know, we had a really good friend that got married really quickly and then it ended up being an abusive situation and we had no idea and hearing her story and where she's at right now and, um, having a really good friend, like struggle with faithfulness in her marriage or having, um, another really good friend, like whose baby has pediatric cancer. Like one, it just felt like in two weeks, I just kept on running into these really not the norm hard things, mm-hmm. especially to being out and ring back to back to back. And right. I just felt like I kept hearing phrases like this is God's daughter and she's so loved or she belongs or she's this. And the common thing I would hear from all of them was, I know that God forgives me, but I know that God loves me, but like, or I know that God will forgive me one day. I hope like, I just feel so dirty or I just feel this, or I just feel that. And, um, I just felt like it was like, okay, I need, I need, I need these women to know that there's nothing wavering about God's love. There's literally nothing we can do. Like there's nothing we can do because God's joy doesn't rely on our behavior. Right. Right. So we can't like my big thing right now that I feel like God's teaching me is the issue of disappointment. Like I, I'm trying not to tell my daughters anymore. I'm disappointed in you because my like, if, if I'm communicating disappointment, that means that my joy stands on their behavior and God's joy, like is completely unreliant on my behavior. He wants the best for my life, but ultimately like my behavior is going to affect me. It's not affecting right his love for me or his like pride in me or my, if my daughter does something totally off the wall or even like our son that we had to say goodbye to in August Um, my teenage brother, we call him our son, um, his standing in our family is still available. He still belongs. He's still loved. We still want him. We still like cherish him, but his behaviors have led him to think otherwise. So yeah, so that's kind of where it was born out of. And I just kept writing and I couldn't stop. And, um, put it out for print and it's so imperfect, but I love that. Yeah. I couldn't, it sold so many so fast that I couldn't yeah. <laughs> keep up. Round so I was two. Like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll make some changes in round two. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm really proud of it. It's something I'm really, really proud of. And I don't say that lightly. That's mm-hmm. not something I really say very often about myself, but, um, because you're a two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the truest too. Yeah. I find a lot of, um, pride and comfort in being the helper yeah. of everybody else. So to put something out that was, it's 100% me is yes. so strange. Um, That's a good feeling though. Yeah. And I just feel like the, like I've heard so many, I mean, I haven't heard any negative feedback, so I don't know if people just aren't telling me or <laughs> what, but the positive feedbacks have been like, God is really speaking to people through it. He has messages mm-hmm. for his daughters. Um, and I really wanted something that was intelligent, that wasn't fluffy, that wasn't like, you know, here's, okay, you need to be doing this with your, like, this is how you should be behaving or this is how you should be doing. Like, it is strictly like, what does scripture say about our standing yeah. as daughters of God? Right. So I'm excited to go through I'm it. I'm excited for I'm you. really excited. I can't wait to hear And my thoughts. girls. Yes. That five girls. We're all going to do it. Are together. they um, like it, our age or are um, they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. 
And then I'll just drip it down to Vera. <laughs> Great. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, Sally, thank you so much just yeah. for sharing your story and your heart and everything that you guys are up to. Um, I know that your Instagram account is private. That's okay. But where <laughs> can people find you or just see what you're up to? You can follow me at, at Sally dot ray r-a-e dot k yeah so you can follow me there just request okay. me it's just private for foster care reasons yeah but okay nothing crazy yeah and um you can find dear daughters at dear daughters dot big big cartel dot com awesome thanks so much yeah thanks for having me yeah Again, don't forget to check out the show notes where we have all of the info and links and resources we talked about in the show. You can go to beckymorquecho.com, B-E-C-K-Y-M-O-R-Q-U-E-C-H-O.com. Thanks for listening in. 